Jesus. If you're wondering about going to the restrooms here, we have one that says men and the other one that says ladies. So don't worry about it here. (laughs) Judges, chapter 1. We'll look at verses 1 through 15. As we begin the book of Judges, don't think that it's like courts that we go to where a group of men or women set up behind a big elevated mahogany paneled uh, area dressed in black robes looking down upon defendants. Now that's not kind of the picture really of judges, but the book of Judges, they have 12 men, 12 leaders of Israel, And there will be one woman. So there's actually 13 judges. And they lead Israel in a time that's between Joshua and conquering of the promised land and the prophet Samuel. The author of the book of Judges is most likely Samuel, the prophet. And Israel at this time is what we would call a loose civil confederacy and They're under judges, and they're moving towards having a king over Israel like the surrounding nations have. Israel, they will go through cycles. They will go through patterns of behavior under the judges. Uh, First, they start off, uh, we find Israel serving God. Second, Israel will fall into sin. And then third, Israel will become trapped by their sins. Fourth, Israel becomes repentant, sorry for their sins. And then the fifth stage is where God saves them from their sins. The theme, the overall theme of the book of Judges is sin wipes you out i.e., the way of the transgressor is hard. Sin usually begins in its patterns in our life uh, in a small way, making us compromise on perhaps trivial issues until we find that sin mature and it wipes us out. We become consumed by sins. I don't think there's ever been one drug addict that began using drugs with the intent on being hooked on drugs. But that's what comes about. The lesson of judges is for us to enjoy our relationship with God the Father and His Son is we must be faithful and obedient to God. Otherwise, you're miserable. You don't enjoy your relationship with him. Being faithful to God is a 24-7 proposition. We have to make a commitment to God in his ways every day, all the time. The most miserable person that I know of is a Christian 
that's living in disobedience to his God. You're never happy. You're not happy in the world and you're not happy being obedient. So a Christian that's disobedient is the most miserable of people. But Israel, as we begin judges, they have come, they have taken the promised land, but there are still pockets of resistance in Israel. And those pockets of resistance are held by the ites, the Moabites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, and they're still in the land of Israel, but they're not overpowering the land there's just pockets of resistance. So let's look at the first five verses in Judges. Now after the death of Joshua, it came to pass that the children of Israel asked the Lord, saying, Who shall be the first to go up against the Canaanites to fight against them? And the Lord said, Judah shall go up. Indeed, I have delivered the land into his hand. So Judah said to Simeon, his brother, Come up with me to my allotted territory, that we may fight against the Canaanites. And I will likewise go with you to your allotted territory. And Simeon went with him. Then Judah went up, and the Lord delivered the Canaanites and the Perizzites into the hand, and they killed 10,000 men at Bezek. And they found Adonai Bezek in Bezek and fought against him, and they defeated the Canaanites and the Perizzites. Israel, they want to know from God, who is to go up and fight against the Canaanites? And the Lord says, Judah, Judah's to go up. For I have delivered the land into his hand. Clear enough, right? Couldn't be more simple. But Judah goes and gets his brother his full-blood brother, Simeon. Come with me to my allotted territory and help me fight against the Canaanites. Simeon now is a much, much smaller tribe than Judah. But Simeon agrees to do this, and God gives the Canaanites into their hands. And Judah, along with Simeon as his helper, they kill about 10,000 men at Bezek. But here's the question. Was Judah supposed to bring Simeon into his conflict against the Canaanites? It appears logical. You know, God doesn't say don't do it. But was it what God wanted Judah to do? God said, I've delivered the Canaanites into your hand, Judah. Judah, without God's approval, gets Simeon, his brother, to help him. There's a lesson here, and we, we need to understand this. There are times when God places a specific call upon our lives. And the logical thinking that we will use can sometimes compromise what God wants to do in our life. God didn't promise Judah to give the Canaanites 
if he got Simeon to help him. He says, Judah, only you do I make this promise to. I only say this to point out that God perhaps called you or me to a service. Make sure when you're in that service, praying about that service, that you do not add others to your calling. I try my best not to be the Holy Spirit in your lives. What do I mean by that? God has called each and every one of us to a service unto himself. And that service, that calling is between you and God, not between you, me, and God. I only try to accommodate give opportunity to a person called of God. God is faithful to Judah, and he defeats the Canaanites, and it's a great victory. But the adding of Simeon, we don't really know if that was of God or not. But let's read of a colorful, what I call sowing and reaping process, of Adonai Bezek, who was king of the Canaanites. And that's in verses 6 and 7. Then Adonai Bezek fled, and they pursued him and caught him and cut off his thumbs and big toes. Hmm. And Adonai Bezek said, Seventy kings with their thumbs and big toes cut off used to gather scraps under my table as I have done, so God has repaid me. Then they brought him to Jerusalem, and there he died. That is almost comical if it weren't so tragic. In Leviticus chapter 8, Moses kills a ram, a male lamb, and he takes some of that blood and he puts a dab of blood on Aaron's right ear. He also puts a dab of blood on the thumb of his right hand and on the big toe of his right foot. What a peculiar thing to do. Moses also does this to Aaron's son, who are also priests. Moses does this to sanctify the priest of God concerning what he hears, perhaps even what his priest thinks about. The thumb puts a little blood on the thumb, and this represents the work of the priest's hands. The right big toe signifying where this priest will be led, where he will walk. The law, the Mosaic law and the sacrifice systems, they were full of symbolic behavior. And this is symbolic to Aaron and his sons. Our thumbs, it's been said by many, separate us from the animal kingdom. They can't do that. (laughs) 
orangutan can't do that, <laughs> but we can. But without thumbs, you're reduced to scooping with two hands what you could do with normally one hand. Without big toe, your walking is unbalanced. You can't get about as agile without the big toe. By cutting off the thumbs of your enemy and the toes, you made your enemy defenseless. Your enemy can no longer grip a sword to do you harm. And when we read about Adonai Bezek having severed the thumbs and the big toes of 70 different kings, he reduced those kings to scrambling for food under his tables or literally becoming beggars for a meal. That's unusual that uh, Adonai Bezek would do this, but it came back upon him as Judah cut off his thumbs and big toe. In verses 8 through 11, we won't read those, but in verses 8 through 11, Judah fights against Jerusalem. Jerusalem at this time is in the hand of the Canaanites. And he struck the city with the edge of the sword, and he set Jerusalem on fire. But in verse 12 uh, through 15, we have a character that I really appreciate, Caleb. And Caleb comes to the surface again. Let's read verses 12 through 15. Then Caleb said, Whoever attacks Kerjath Sefer and takes it, to him I will give my daughter Aksa as his wife. And Othanel, the, the son of Kizak, Caleb's younger brother, took it, and so he gave him his daughter Aksa as wife. Now it happened when they came to him that she urged him to ask her father for a field. And she dismounted from her donkey, and Caleb said to her, What do you wish? So she said to him, Give me a blessing, since you have given me land in the south. Give me also springs of water. And Caleb gave her the upper spring and the lower springs. Now evidently, Aksa, Caleb's daughter, was a prize. <laughs> and Caleb's nephew takes this area, Kerjath Sefer, and he marries Aksa. Aksa, she now wants a blessing from her father. She wants springs of water to go along with the land that has been given to her. And Caleb gives her the upper and lower springs, springs of water. Now, water is a very interesting subject in Scripture. Let me take you back a little bit. God called Abraham from the land of Ur, along with Sarah, to come down into the Canaan area. Sheep and cattle have been the measure and the prosperity of Abraham. 
However, livestock need water. Jacob, the grandson of Abraham, he is known for digging water wells. He would dig a well here. Our scripture reading talks about uh, the woman at the well in Samaria. That was a well that Caleb, or not Caleb, that uh, Jacob had dug. Jacob is Abraham's grandson. And so it goes back to the patriarchs. To have a land without water was a wilderness. It was basically of no value. So Caleb's daughter, Aksa, was more than a, a, just a beautiful daughter, more than a pretty face. She was wise enough to ask her father, Caleb, for water, for a blessing. Dad, you've given me in marriage, and you've given me to a good man. You've given me land. You've given me fields. Now bless me, Dad, by giving me water, flowing water. And he gives her the upper and lower springs. Water is a great commodity in any society that needs to farm their crops, need to water their cattle. But water in Scripture represents the Holy Spirit. And Jesus had a lot to say about water. In our reading, the Samaritan woman at the well is told by Jesus, drink of the water that I give you and you will never thirst. So turn with me to John chapter 7. We won't talk about the uh, water at the well, but we'll talk about the tabernacle feast, which is at hand in chapter 7. Jesus, at this time, his own brothers do not believe in him as Christ, as the Messiah. In the opening verses of chapter 7, Jesus' brothers even chide him. They kind of poke fun at him because they're living in Galilee, and they're telling Jesus, hey, go into Judea, uh, the Jerusalem area, and show your followers your works. Show yourself to the world, Jesus. And Jesus simply replies, my time has not yet come. And Jesus' brothers then go up to the feast in Jerusalem, and Jesus will follow uh, a little later. But in the middle of the feast, the Feast of Tabernacles, Jesus is found in the temple teaching. The people are wondering, is Jesus the Christ? And many of the people are believing in Jesus. The religious leaders, of course, they want nothing to do with Jesus, and they want to make him look bad because he's a threat to their power and their authority. 
and they want to arrest Jesus, and they send temple guards or temple soldiers to arrest him, but they come back without Jesus, and they report to the high priest. And here's what they said. No man ever spoke like this man. So what is Jesus teaching that his words are so convincing to the everyday man on the street? I'm glad you asked that question. Jesus, on the great last day of the Feast of Tabernacle, he's there in the temple teaching and on this last day of the Feast of Tabernacles, they would read a portion of Isaiah 44. And they would read it aloud in the temple. Let me read you the first three verses of Isaiah 44. Yet hear me now, O Jacob, my servant, and Israel, whom I have chosen. Thus says the Lord who made you and formed you from the womb, who will help you Fear not, O Jacob, my servant, and you, Jeshurun, whom I have chosen, for I will pour water on him who is thirsty, and floods on dry ground. I will pour my spirit on your descendants, and my blessings on your offsprings. Isaiah has declared, God who chose Jacob and Israel will pour water on him who is thirsty. You must understand that God creates a thirst in mankind. We're his creation. And he creates a thirst in us for him. He creates a thirst for himself. God produces in us a thirst that only he can satisfy. Now, we're known to chase after many things that we hope will bring purpose in this life. And we chase after uh, education. We chase after position. We chase after advancement on the job. We chase after possessions thinking they will satisfy. And if you pay any attention to commercials on TV, to retire with enough money to live the good life is happiness. Look sometimes how many commercials are devoted to save up for your retirement and then you will be happy. Trouble with that is we're usually too old or worn out to enjoy the good life. But Jesus has a better plan. And that's why I've asked you to turn to John 7. And we'll look at verses 37 through 39. On the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood up and cried out saying, If anyone thirst, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke concerning the spirit, those uh, with 
whom those believed in him would receive, for the Holy Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Are you thirsty for real purpose in life? Are you desiring a little more than the daily grind? And life can grind us down. Jesus, who causes us to be thirsty after himself, has not left us without a remedy. He didn't just say, be thirsty, without providing for us satisfaction. Jesus declared to Israel, Jesus declares to all of mankind, if anyone thirst, let him come after me and drink. And here's the promise. He who believes in me according to scripture, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Our inner beings will be so completely full if we drink of Jesus that we will be overflowing. When that would be good, but that isn't the measure here. Rivers of living water will flow out of our lives. Sometimes we err when we think because we've been filled with the Holy Spirit that we have all of God that we need. Don't think for a moment that you can contain the spirit of the living God completely. Don't think that for a moment. Drink of Jesus, my friends, and your life will not be able to contain for a moment his spirit. It will find an out flow. It will find a release. When we drink of Jesus, he gives you everything you desire spiritually. God has more of his spirit for us than we will ever be able to even imagine, much less contain. In fact, God says, I'm going to measure the spirit I give you by rivers. I'm going to give you rivers of living water. Not a little overflow, not your cup being full in a little overflow. So drink of Jesus, my friend. He's more than you'll ever be able to contain. And we're going to pray here in a moment, and I'm going to pray that God will fill us with his spirit for rivers of living water. It's so interesting to me that God would use the term rivers of living water. Drive across the Tennessee River sometime, about a quarter mile wide to a half mile wide on 65, and it flows. <laughs> Amen? Let me get you to stand. We'll close in prayer. God, you've promised your Holy Spirit to us if we would simply ask. 
There's not a person here that doesn't want to be happy and fulfilled in you, Lord. We all want that. So help us to see, help us to understand that if we make you our goal, if we come after you and drink of you, there's no disappointment. You will cause rivers of living water to go out of our lives. What a blessing you have for us if we will just come to you and drink of you. Lord, cause us to understand, cause us to see that you are the base, you are the root of our happiness, our fulfillment, our desires. They're centered in you, Jesus. We want to be filled, but we want to be overflowing. We want rivers to go out of our life for your glory, for your kingdom. Use us, Lord God, for your kingdom. Fill us with your spirit, and may we drink of you to the point where rivers of life flow out of us. We pray for this, and we ask for this, and we do so in your name, Jesus. Amen.